0: Hello to everyone. We're thankful again to have opportunity to get to study in the Word of God. Um, Thankful for the Lord's salvation and plucking us as brands from the burning out of our sin, our shame, our sorrow, of all places we could have been, of our own will. The Lord saved us from our own wants and desires and set us in His kingdom on a solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost to guide us through this life. Certainly we owe everything that we have today to Him and we're thankful. And you know we say that, we say that often and we mean that, but the God's truth is we really don't realize nor are we as grateful as we ought to be for His wondrous works towards us. But we're certainly thankful for the study that we've been able to have thus far of these feasts of the Old Testament for just the little portion. And I'm sure that you have seen much more in it than we have as we've walked through this. But I hope the Lord has blessed you through this study. I hope that we can be a help to you. Uh, A lot of times you think that you're accomplishing nothing, but in the Lord we know that we can be a help and a benefit to people. And that's our desire, to be a help to you that would listen, that would take time to listen to us. It amazes me. Um, but we're thankful. thankful for you tuning in and for listening. And we've got up to, in this study, the Feast of Weeks, as it's referred to in the Old Testament, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, as we see in the New Testament, Pentecost, um literally meaning 50 days, which is what we see, and we we briefly read uh, a verse about this last time, about the 50 days, counting seven Sabbaths from the first fruits, and the Feast of Pentecost takes place. So we're going to read, uh, again we're in the same chapter, Leviticus, Chapter number 23, and we left off in verse 14 last time, looking at the Feast of first fruits, and we're going to look at uh, verse 15 today, and down to about 21, looking at the Feast of Weeks or of Pentecost. So verse 15, And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, From the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath, ye shall number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So to get the timing down, the Passover offering was offered on the 14th, the Sabbath day that fell after the Passover. The day after that, the first fruit was offered. And then they were to count seven Sabbaths, 49 days there, seven sevens, literally. And on the 50th day, there was to be a new meat offering made to the Lord. So 50 days from the sheaf offering of the first fruits. This offering was to be made, and you know that fiftieth day. And uh, I, I believe that there are types and shadows in numbers, hid in the Bible. I also believe we can make a whole lot more out of it than needs to be, but there are types and shadows, and that fifty, that being a type and a shadow, I believe of liberty of freedom, of being set free. So we have also the year of Jubilee and that was the 50th year. So you would have a year of Jubilee and that year was when all of the debts and all of the land in Israel and all of those that had been sold into slavery because of their debts, all of that was forgiven All of the land went back to the original owners and all of those slaves were set free in the year of Jubilee. And that occurred every 50th year. What a joyous year. If you were one that was in debt, if you were one that was a servant, how that you would count the days until that year of Jubilee that you could be set free. And so, for us... That year of Jubilee was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. How that we were in debt to God for our sin. How that we were slaves and in bondage to Satan. But through the work of Christ, the year of Jubilee, which began with trumpets, to sound off the beginning of the year, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ began, and liberty came to all those that would believe the gospel. So Jesus was and is our jubilee, our time of freedom. And that 50, we see that 50 here as well. And I'm, I believe all of this will tie in together as we look farther in. So we've got the new meat offering that's being made to the Lord 50 days after the first fruits. Now in verse 17, ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour, they shall be bacon with leaven, they are the first fruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs, without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burn offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering, and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the firstfruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. So, here is an offering, again, of first fruits and a history of that land would say that around the time of the Passover, the barley was becoming ripe for harvest. And the wheat, because of the uh the landscape and the climate of that area, the wheat would come in uh to a ripeness ready to harvest around 50 days after that, two months after. And so these first fruits would be of the new wheat offering. Um, and they would bring two loaves, whereas in the first fruits there was one loaf offered to God. Here there's two loaves, Waved before the Lord. And notice as well, I'm not going to read all that again, but you notice all that was sacrificed. There was a burnt offering. That was seven lambs, a bullock, two rams. There was a sin offering of a kid of the goats. There was two lambs of the first year for peace offerings. There was all of this bloodshed that went along with these two loaves, and they were to be waved before the Lord. And they were to be holy for the priests. So, uh, you know, not a great big revelation here. I'm sure many of you, before we ever started, you knew what Pentecost was in a sense. Maybe we can pull something out that could be of a greater help to you. But we know the Lord Jesus was crucified on the day of the Passover. He resurrected on the day... Of the offering of the first fruits, and He didn't resurrect and disappear immediately, but He dwelled on the earth after His resurrection. We have evidence of that in 1 Corinthians 15. And, you know, I say this, this should not be overlooked. People look at Christians as being people that just believe crazy stuff, and there's no evidence, and you just take it by faith, and a leap in the dark, and all of this stuff. But that is certainly not the case. That is a lie of the devil. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's dealing with people that were saying there's no resurrection. But now listen to the evidence of Christ's resurrection. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. So there was a great number of eye witnesses to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And when this was written out, this could be proven false. He says 500 brethren seen Christ at one time, and the majority of them are still alive. You can go and find them and ask them what they saw. Get their eyewitness account. There were eyewitness accounts to what went on. Now, the reason that people doubt and that don't believe is because Satan's against it. But you know, one man's eyewitness account written down somewhere a thousand years ago, we pick that up and we believe what he wrote as history. We believe what historians and people wrote down about the Roman Empire. We've never seen the Roman Empire. We can see some of the remnants of it today. But we don't know who was king and we've never seen them as king and we don't know whether they ruled or not. But there were eyewitnesses that recorded the history and we believe it. Well, here is an eyewitness account of people that saw the Lord Jesus after he was resurrected. So there was evidence, there were eyewitnesses, there were people that saw, he resurrected and he remained. Now, the Bible says this, In Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, proofs that were unable to be debunked or proven false. The proof that Jesus gave of his resurrection was infallible, being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus resurrected and He remained with the apostles and with the believers up to 500 at one time. He remained with them for 40 days. And then we know on the 40th day He told them to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. And He ascended back to God in the clouds. So that was 40 days after his resurrection. And in chapter 2 of Acts, now he's ascended on the 40th day. And in chapter 2 of Acts, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come. So we know that the day of Pentecost was 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, because he was resurrected on the, the day that they offered the first fruits, So ten days after Jesus' ascension into heaven, we have here the day of Pentecost was fully come. And this is the same day that we're reading of in Leviticus 23, when this uh, feast of weeks, when this new offering was to be made unto the Lord. So when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heavens, as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, here, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost comes upon them. Now, we believe that this is what Jesus was saying when he told them to tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued. We believe that Jesus was referencing this occurrence to his apostles when he told them to wait for the power from heaven. So, this power from heaven was... The Holy Ghost of God. The Holy Ghost descended upon all of those believers there in the upper room. And we know what immediately began. They began preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Now what is the gospel? And we've covered this many times. But it's good to repeat things and establish it in our hearts. The gospel, the word literally means... Good news. So they are proclaiming, they're preaching, they're heralding the good news of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ and the gathering in then of man unto this salvation. Now they were told, don't bear witness, don't go out, don't go out of Jerusalem, don't leave this place until you be endued this Holy Ghost Will give you power and you'll be able to bear witness of the mighty works that I've accomplished and the salvation that that brought for mankind to be gathered in. So the Holy Ghost then, and its dissension, ties in with Pentecost, which ties in with first fruits the unleavened bread, and the Passover. This is all a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all tied together. And again, a fourth time, the days match up perfectly with the pictures of the feasts in the Old Testament. So what were these feasts doing? Why was God giving Israel and unto Moses these feasts and memorials to keep throughout their generations, they were put in place as pictures and as types and as shadows, as well as marking the days that all of the work of God in Christ would be accomplished for mankind. You know what it did? It guaranteed that when the Lord Jesus was crucified, there would be a huge number of people in Jerusalem from areas round about that were not normally there. They'd be there for the feast of the Passover. It guaranteed that on the day of Pentecost, when the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ was beginning to go out, There would be a great number of people from all over the world there to keep the Feast of the Pentecost so that the gospel on this day would spread much further than it would have on any other regular Sunday. But because it's a feast, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation Under heaven. That's Acts 2 verse 5. All of these people are gathered there for this feast. And God sends the Holy Ghost. And the gospel begins to be preached by the apostles. And what a day that this is. That 3,000 people believe the gospel. Are baptized and added to the church. And so this work then. This work of Christ brought in and made possible the Holy Ghost and the preaching of the Word of God. Now, we have this also, that there were two loaves to be waved. Now, the first fruit offering, that was one loaf. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the first fruit from the dead so that everybody else after Him could be regenerated, and resurrected into life. But now, in this one, we have two loaves that are being waved. And in Ephesians, chapter number 2, verse number 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So you've got through the Word of God, if you're going to look at the world through the Old Testament Word of God, you've got two types of people. I realize there's many nations, there's many races, there's many languages, but when you boil it down to what the Word of God in the Old Testament teaches, there's two types. There's those that are Jews, there's those that are Gentiles. That's the way that God divided man in the Old Testament. So now in Christ Jesus, He has made it possible for the loaf, the lump of the Jew, as well as the loaf and the lump of the Gentile to be brought together in His sacrifice and in His resurrection by the preaching of the gospel and by the indwelling of the Spirit. He's made it possible for both to be brought into the family of God, and for both to be acceptable. You see, both needed a Savior. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes far off, you that had no access whatsoever to the temple to the sacrifices, no means to approach to God, no means to pray. Ye that were separated and afar off from God, God's now through Christ made a way for us all to be able to approach God one way together and be acceptable and holy in His sight. Now that's what the apostles were preaching. They were preaching there in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews in Jerusalem, to those that were there to take of the Feast of Pentecost. They were preaching the Word of God. They were preaching the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ unto them by the indwelling power of the Spirit of God, preaching to them that they could be accepted through the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And you know, in just a few days, the Lord's going to come by to Peter's house and say, Peter, they're going to call for you. You go and don't ask any questions. And Peter's going to go to Cornelius's house and preach the exact same message and they're going to receive the exact same salvation, the exact exact same forgiveness and mercy, the exact same Holy Spirit, they're going to be acceptable and waved before God and be found holy all through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that God took these two types of people, the Jew and the Gentile, took them both and made one new man acceptable unto God through Jesus Christ. So making peace that mankind who had been at enmity and at odds with God from the fall in the garden, that mankind could have peace between himself and God, both Jew and Gentile, acceptable to the Lord through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's 50 days after. It's tied to the first fruits. It's tied to that feast. It's tied to the work of the Passover. It's tied to the work, uh, the feast of unleavened bread. All of this together is a point and a picture of the salvation that was wrought by God in Christ Jesus and was delivered to man by God through the Holy Spirit and the gospel. God has brought us this salvation and we take part of it and are acceptable unto God whether we're a Jew or a Gentile. We're able to be taken into the holy place. We're able to be waved before God and be accepted by the offering of Jesus. Now all of these beasts that were offered at the feast of the Pentecost, That sin offering, that burnt offering, that peace offering, Christ Jesus was all of those. He made the offering that we could be waved before God and have peace and be made holy. Those loaves of bread... They were to be baked in every individual's house. I was to bake two loaves of bread and bring it to the priest. Now, as I make it in my house and in my oven, and again, we're, we're walking back and trying to stand in their shoes in the days of Moses. As I bake those loaves and bring them to the priest, they're not holy. I've made them. They're just like any other loaf of bread that I've ever made In my oven, they're just something that I'm bringing to the priest to offer to God. Now when the priest takes those, and when the priest goes in before God, and the priest waves those as this Pentecost offering, those two loaves are then made holy and dedicated unto the priest. Well you know man, man's not holy in any form or fashion. Man is the opposite, unholy, wicked, rebellious, sinful, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted towards God. But you know, when Christ takes us, whether we're a Jew or a Gentile, and He waves us before God through His blood, through His burnt offering, through His peace offering, through His sin offering for us, we are made holy and one lump dedicated to the Lamb of God, the priest that offers us to the Lord, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. So the Jew and the Gentile are both reconciled. They're brought back together, brought back into agreement with one another through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus on the cross of Calvary, so that both are made acceptable. Now listen as we go on here. Still in Ephesians 2, this is now verse 17, and came, so that's not the end of the work. The Lord Jesus died, and He made a way for both to be sanctified. He resurrected, and made a way for there to be a new man made, and reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God, and in 17, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. But not only did He do all that, but also He came to where we are, and preached this peace to you which are far off, and to them that are nigh. So this gospel which began by the Spirit at Pentecost, was preached to the Jew and to the Gentile alike, that both could be brought in to the kingdom and to the family of the Lord God. And notice what he says is preached. Peace. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is a message of peace. The law is a curse to man because man can't keep the law. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus is a message of peace and reconciliation and being brought into holiness with Almighty God. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So this sacrifice that was made at Pentecost, these two loaves that were offered and made holy, was there to make holy the rest of the crop again. And here the Lord Jesus and the Spirit and the gospel of the Lord Jesus that began to be preached here, was there to give access to God by this one Spirit. This one Spirit, and you know, uh, the Spirit sometimes, the Holy Ghost, is taken awful lightly, but the Holy Ghost is one with the Father and with the Son. He is God, and at the core of true Biblical Christianity is that fact of the Trinity, that a triune God, a a holy and righteous God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they are one and they are three. The Holy Ghost is just as integral a part of redemption and salvation as God the Father and God the Son when they were creating the earth and it was without form and void and darkness covered, you see there, you see God the Father, you see the Word of God as God speaks, and the Holy Spirit there brooding over the water. They are three and they are one. So the Spirit the third part of the Godhead, not third in importance, because they are one and equal. This Spirit of God cometh and gives access to both loaves, to the Gentiles and to the Jews, unto God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So these two loaves that were waved on the day of Pentecost and both were made holy and given to the priests. Well, those that come to God through the gospel, they are made holy and are no longer a stranger to God's kingdom, but they are made fellow citizens, equal citizens with the saints of God and a part of God's household. You talk about being made holy through Christ Jesus our Lord and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Those stones, by stones we're talking about people that have been redeemed plucked as a brand from the burning and placed in the building, the house, the family of Almighty God. They are made holy because they are connected to the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And in the Uh, Old Testament picture of Pentecost, those two loaves that were baked in an oven in somebody's house, when they were offered to God by the priest, they were made holy and acceptable to God by the, the blood that was offered and by the waving. So we, made holy, acceptable, pure, and a part of the family of God, through the indwelling of the Spirit that came to us by the preaching of the gospel. It was necessary. This Pentecost was a necessary part of salvation because there the gospel began to be preached to them that were near and to them that were afar off. And you think about being afar off. When Paul wrote this, he's talking about people from Rome people from Asia, people from other countries around there that were Gentiles and had no access to God, now they're able to receive a gospel of peace through the sacrifice of Jesus. But think about how far now that that gospel reached that even in the United States nearly 2,000 years later. How much farther out can you get than that? 2,000 years later and all the way across the ocean in the United States, this gospel of peace is being preached to them that are far off and we can be made holy through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ by accepting the gospel through the dwelling of the Spirit of God in the church. The building began right there at Pentecost. God began setting stones. Jews and Gentiles in the building. 3,000 stones were laid in the building of God there at the day of Pentecost. And stones today, they're still being added by the same Spirit the same gospel, the same sacrifice, the same work of God, stones are still being made holy and acceptable to God by the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, if there was no gospel, we'd have no access to it. The gospel is important and I believe the gospel by the Spirit is what we see here in Pentecost because that's what began when the Holy Ghost descended upon the apostles, they didn't start singing, they didn't start uh they didn't start talking it up, but they began preaching the gospel when the Spirit descended, and from that time forward the kingdom of God has been preached. That's how every man is pressed into the kingdom. So one more thing we would like to look at. Well, let's let's look in Corinthians as well, talking about of two one new man. Well, that's what we see in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. That loaf is no longer a loaf that means nothing, but that loaf is now made holy. Well, to them that are brought into Christ Jesus, they're made into a new man. You can look at that individually. You can look at that as a whole. In the day of the resurrection... And the last day of this world when the Lord returns, the church is going to be raised up as one body, holy and acceptable unto God by the offering of the blood of the Lamb of God and by their acceptance of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that was delivered to them, whether it was on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem Or it's April 1st, 2021 in the United States of America. They receive the same gospel and they're set in the building by the same means. It's a wonderful thought, ain't it? What a plan that God made and put together. But there in Ephesians 2, one more point we'd like to bring out before we stop here. In all of these, the 15th day the day that the Passover was eaten, as well as the twenty-first day, the last day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the day of the Feast of the first fruits, as well as the day of the Feast of Weeks, or the day of Pentecost. All of these days, four total, were holy convocations, high Sabbath days, days where no servile work was to be done. Now that's no coincidence either because this salvation is not accomplished by the work of man. Our works produce sin. Our works produced our guilt. But this salvation was accomplished by the work of God with absolutely no help from me. I did not help God to save me. I have no work. In any of it. And if you. If you're acceptable to God today. And saved. And in the family. You didn't help God save you. Either. No these days. These were days where you would not allowed to work. And if you worked. You were to be stoned. Uh, we've got it here in Ephesians 2. Verse 8. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And how many scriptures could we look at through the New Testament that say these very words in maybe a different form or fashion? It's not of man's works, that people are brought into the kingdom of God. Man's hands were completely off of the plan of God and the work of Christ for salvation. God brought this salvation. God gave His only begotten Son. God gave His life for us. God resurrected Him from the dead. God accepted his sacrifice as atonement for our sins. God made sure the gospel came to where we were, whether we were afar off or we were nigh. God, by the Spirit, made sure that we were convinced of the gospel, and God, by the Spirit, made sure that we were drew to Him. And God, when we came in obedience to the Spirit, God regenerated us, justified us, and made us holy in His kingdom. This was God's work, and it was God's work from beginning to end. And when I try to add something that I've done to the reason that I'm saved, I am breaking the commandment of God. This is not something for man to do any servile work in. God accomplishes true salvation through the work of the Spirit. Now, you'll hear a lot of buts on that and a lot of arguments to go with that today. Even among men that we would consider brethren, man is so resistant to a salvation that is anchored in God and wants to leave a place for man, that man done this. Well, if, if there is that place, then tell me how that it's not of works lest any man should boast. Even if it's, well, I had to believe it. Well, if I believed it and the rest of the world didn't, I've got a place that I can boast that I believed it and you didn't. But I don't even have that. You know why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit of God. And I want to, I want to reiterate this before we stop here. The Spirit is just as important as the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for our individual salvation. We could not be saved without the Lord Jesus. I And, you know, I don't mean to say that irreverently either. The Lord Jesus' sacrifice, the feast of the Passover, that was the means for them to escape Egypt. And the Lord Jesus, without Him and His work, there's no way I can escape But if the day of Pentecost never comes and the Holy Ghost never convicts me by the gospel and draws me to Jesus, then I never accept it and I'm never saved. So that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all equally important in the redemption of mankind. You can't be saved without the Son. Well, you can't be saved without the Spirit either. I can't go and talk people into salvation myself with words from my mouth and get them to truly believe it. The Holy Ghost is just as necessary. And the Holy Ghost will have to be at work in their hearts, convicting, convincing, and drawing in order for them to truly receive salvation. We're thankful for another opportunity to look into the Word of God. That finishes this first group, these first four feasts, and what wonderful pictures of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation of man that we have hidden in these four feasts. So that leaves us with three yet to look at. And the, these next three, they're also grouped together and they go together. They are the feast of the trumpets. The day of atonement. And those the trumpets. And the day of atonement. They certainly all go together. As well as the feast of tabernacles. Three more great pictures. Of salvation in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we look forward to getting to break each of those down as well. Hope we've been a help to you today. Hope you have a wonderful remainder of the week in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. We ask you to pray for us and our family.